This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Chris Cyborg might be saying hi, Felicia. Back to the drawing board for Kevin Lee. Dos Santos and Genu head north. And the NSAC looks suspect once more. I'm joined today by Juan Adams, who will be Greg Hardy's next UFC opponent this July in San Antonio, Texas. Thanks to those listening on TSN Radio in Toronto or Ottawa, or to those listening to the podcast. Thank you for your patronage, and I do ask that you subscribe, review, and recommend this fine program to your friends and family. So uh, Joe's under the weather today, so he couldn't make it in. I'm a little bit under the weather as well, but we're going to weather the storm here on the TSN MMA show because we've got a lot to talk about. As we always do, this is a year-round sport. So there's never really a shortage of uh, interesting topics to, to get to in this fine, fine realm of mixed martial arts. But let's start off with UFC in Rochester. I was at the event. It was actually my third of three straight events for the UFC that I covered um, on behalf of TSN. First was the uh, Ottawa card, then Rio de Janeiro, then Rochester. And speaking of the Ottawa card, after that card, it seemed like hope was lost for Canada to finally have another contender or to have somebody emerge, some sort of cream to rise to the top as I think Canadians that went against Americans were 1-5 and five or 1-6 and six on the card. Maybe not Americans, but non-Canadians. Canadians against non-Canadians. I think it was like 1-5 and five or 1-6. and six. It was was not a good look. Let's just put it that way. In fact, the only win was uh, against the non-Canadian was uh, Arjun Buller, who's facing, who faced uh, Juan Adams, who joins us later on in the program. But, uh, you know, hope for Canadians that were, were looking to have another Canadian excel in the UFC and get to a position of contendership if that is a word, was, uh, was rough. However, UFC Rochester, the debut of Felicia Spencer, who happens to be one of only five actual UFC women's featherweights in the entire promotion, gets a win. And a nice win at that. First round. Takes Megan Anderson down and just imposes her will. Chokes her out and wins. Which was... A breath of fresh air for Canadians that wanted to see one of their own excel in the UFC because suddenly Felicia Spencer is now right in the mix for the women's featherweight title, which might end up having an interim tag attached to it. And if they do, that would be a fine co-main event in Edmonton. You put Felicia Spencer against Chris Cyborg, interim championship, winner faces Amanda Nunes if she decides to ever fight at 145 again. But Felicia Spencer will have earned it because, as mentioned, there are no women's featherweights in the UFC for the most part. There's five. Two of them are facing off next weekend in uh, Sweden. Bea Malecki, one of them, who was uh, on The Ultimate Fighter. I think the only featherweight to actually come out of that entire season of The Ultimate Fighter. Um, I know Macy Chasson has said that she wants to fight a featherweight again. But right now, she's on a roll of 135, so that's probably where she's going to be staying. Now Felicia Spencer finds herself in a real solid position to potentially face Chris Cyborg and uh, be in contention for the women's featherweight title. So there is hope at last for Canadians in the UFC to finally make some noise. Now after the fight, I asked Felicia, what do you want to do next? I mentioned UFC 240 in Edmonton to her, potentially for an interim title against Chris Cyborg. And she said she, you know, it would be an honor to fight Chris Cyborg. You know, Chris Cyborg is the face of the women's featherweight division in MMA. Felicia Spencer, she says she wants to be the face 
of women's of the feather, women's featherweight division in the UFC, and obviously a win over Chris Cyborg puts her into the conversation. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. You know, a win over Megan Anderson is not the same as a win over Chris Cyborg. Uh, you know, Megan Anderson is now one and two in the UFC. That one win against Kat Zingano, that that vicious kick, got her right in the eye and uh, allowed her to finish that fight. And the two losses to uh, Holly Holm and Felicia Spencer, no shame in that. And I think Megan will stick around in the UFC, but I really think that they need to do a better job of building this division up. We need to see more female athletes brought into the UFC at this division. I know they did a season of the Ultimate Fighter, but most of the women on that particular season were 135ers. And if you look at the finale... With uh, Shasan versus uh, Kiadzad. Kiadzad now fighting for another organization again. So she didn't even get signed. Bea Maleki got signed. So that division is kind of, again, a bit stagnant because there just aren't that many contenders. But Felicia Spencer is one of them. And uh, a big win for her in her UFC debut. Uh, finally bringing a Canadian into the forefront of uh, the title picture in one of the divisions here in the UFC. Now, Kevin Lee, unfortunately, falls to the hands of Rafael Dos Anjos in the main event. You know, I thought Lee had won the first two rounds. I, I might have been in the minority there. But uh, ran out of gas, went for a really, really, you know, powerful double leg in the, in the fourth. At which point he was running out of energy. Stuffed by RDA. RDA capitalizes, takes his back, and finishes the fight. And that, you know, a very disappointed Kevin Lee posted on Instagram soon thereafter about, uh, you know, pondering his future and what's next for him. Now, you know, he's still very young. He still has a lot of time. But these, uh, these can be discouraging situations. I think he's 1-3 and three in his last four. The win over Edson Barboza, uh, losses to Tony Ferguson, Ally Akinta, and uh, most recently, of course, the aforementioned RDA, Rafael Dos Anjos. So we're going to see... What's next for Kevin Lee? But, uh, you know, he moved to welterweight to get into the title picture because 155 had a very, very crowded title picture, and this loss is a massive setback for him because it's going to be a while before Kevin Lee gets back into contention. You know, he's the type of guy that's able to headline these fight night cards, headline co-main event, um, but he was starting to get to that point where he was going to potentially be in the mix for... Main event spots. I mean, he was in the main event against Tony Ferguson when they fought for the interim title. But, you know, he was really getting to that point where he was pushing to become a star in the UFC. And unfortunately, things have not gone his way. So, uh, you know, he's one of the more charismatic guys. Good at self-promotion. Very good interview. Always compelling. Always interesting. But, uh, you know, the death of Robert Fallis, I think, uh, took a, you know had a pretty profound effect on his capabilities and what, what he's able to achieve and uh, whether that means he looks other, you know, otherwise for a different coaching staff or move somewhere, that that's really his decision. I, you know, I think he is in good hands with uh, Dewey Cooper and the uh, the rest of the uh, the folks that he trains with out at Extreme Couture. But I think that uh, you know, right now the results have not been good for Kevin Lee. And uh, when a tweet went out from uh, Ariel Helwani, my colleague, about Kevin Lee being hospitalized. A lot of the feedback that uh, I saw, because uh, he had tagged me on that particular tweet, was fairly negative. It was fairly, you know, a lot of people saying that his coaching staff were doing him a disservice in between rounds, that he should look to train with the new team. And now I don't know if that's necessary. I, I don't know. 
I think that that's a decision that Kevin Lee has to make. He needs to figure out what his comfort zone is and see if he's willing to go outside that comfort zone to, to improve or whether he thinks that his current uh, situation is good enough for him to be a champion. But uh, those are big decisions for Kevin Lee to make. You know, he's made himself a resident of Las Vegas. He's bought a house there. So uh, changing teams at this stage in the game might not be the best move for him. And uh, he has to use the PI all the time. He's got a good team around him. But uh, what is his ceiling with that particular supporting cast is uh, the big question that has arisen from the recent performances of Kevin Lee. Speaking of Dewey Cooper, Dewey Cooper also used to uh, be one of the coaches for Francis Ngannou, who I believe has basically brought his training back to France full-time. And he was supposed to be facing Junior Dos Santos during International Fight Week, UFC 239. However, Tyron Woodley had to pull out of his main event slot with Robbie Lawler. There were rumors that Santiago Ponzinibbio might step in, but those rumors turned out to uh, not come into fruition. And uh, the main event of the UFC on ESPN card is now Junior Dos Santos versus Francis Ngannou. It'll be Ngannou's second time headlining an ESPN card. And uh, I think that's a great, great fight. If you're going to take a fight from basically the main card of UFC 239, there's not a main or co-main event, this was a good one to do. This was a good one to make the main event of that particular card. It's only one week prior. It's, uh, you know, JDS has been in the main event of a lot of different fight night cards like this, but this is a big opportunity for him. It's going to be, you know, the winner of this fight could be the next contender for to face the winner of uh, Cormier versus Stipe, which takes place at UFC 241 in August. So it's a very, very interesting uh, time right now for that heavyweight division because we don't have Brock Lesnar coming in and spoiling the party, and now everybody that's earned their spot in the division, guys like Dos Santos, like Naganu, and you know, order is restored. Order is restored in the heavyweight division. So uh, a solid, solid main event there. I, I think that that's going to look really good on television um, because... Dos Santos and again, it was just, uh, just a fun fight. Now, that fight was originally supposed to be at UFC 215 in Edmonton and uh, ended up falling off because of uh, Dos Santos being flagged by USADA. Turned out to be a contaminated substance, but uh, that fight was pulled from UFC 215 and now uh, coming into fruition here in Minneapolis. June 29th, ESPN card should be a, a good one. Earlier this week, uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov's teammates, Abubakar Nurmagomedov and Zubaira Tuhugov, got their suspensions reduced by 35 days. Why 35 days? What a great number. By the uh, Nevada State Athletic Commission. Now, it's impossible to look at this and not think that uh, there's some, something suspicious going on. Now, of course, you know, you can appeal decisions for the, uh, the commission, but... In order for those two individuals to fight on the card with Khabib in Abu Dhabi, UFC 242, they needed to kind of, you know, have their suspensions reduced. And lo and behold, they go to the commission. 35-day reduction of the suspension. I wonder why that is. Hmm. Well, I mean, it's quite clear. Essentially, Khabib said he wouldn't fight again until... uh, the suspensions of his uh, teammates were up. The suspensions of his teammates weren't up until October. So in order for him to be able to compete on that card, 
they needed to get that suspension, those suspensions reduced to a point where they would also be eligible to con- compete on that card and also just basically not be under suspension when that card rolled around. So what do they do? They just go to the commission. Hey, hey, so this is the situation here. We need these guys cleared. We need them. the suspensions reduced. Okay, no problem. We didn't offer you community service, so now we're going to offer you community service. You're going to do 10 hours of community service for anti-bullying causes in Las Vegas or in the state of Nevada. And yeah, no problem. 35 days. Cool. Yeah, no big deal. All good. Now, it certainly is suspicious that uh, both Conor McGregor and Dylan Danis, who were suspended for less time, they weren't offered any sort of community service to reduce their suspension. So going forward, if if you're suspended by the commission, can you just say, hey, where's my uh, community service? Why, why can't I do that and just have my suspension reduced? This is what happened before. That's a pretty uh, nasty precedent, don't you think? That just because... Yeah, it wasn't even looked. It didn't even look like it was an appeal. It was just like it's just a rehearing. Unbelievable, how much power is wielded over this commission and the Nevada State Athletic Commission. This is a bad look. I mean, it couldn't be more transparent as to what happened here. They just they they don't even care. They don't even care about making it look like it's uh, there's any sort of fair, um, you know, any sort of a fair process here. They don't care. They don't care. I mean, it's clear as day. It's not hard to uh, put two and two together here. Now, of course, several people have reached out to the commission to say, you know, well, why, why, did, why was there a rehearing? Well, you know, and, uh, radio silence. We don't need to answer. All good. It's not like we're run by the state or anything. Oh, wait, you are. You're supposed to be a transparent organization. But, eh, we don't need to give you any answers. All good. So uh, be that as it may... While I think that the commission does look uh, exceptionally foolish for this sort of a situation, I'm, I'm happy that these guys got their suspensions reduced. I thought they were a little bit long to begin with. I thought it was a bit unfair that the, you know two kind of people that were on the periphery got longer suspensions than Khabib, who jumped out of the cage and went after people in the crowd. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And I'm, I'm excited to see Khabib compete at UFC 242. All I'm saying is that the commission they're kind of a kind of a laughing stock after this, don't you think? Don't you think that looking at this, that it's pretty clear that you know the UFC and whatever they they have the commission wrapped around their little finger here? Because there's really no other explanation for why they would get these suspensions reduced by thirty five days. Thirty five have you ever heard thirty five days thrown around? Maybe sixty, maybe thirty. Thirty five. Very odd. One championship took place over the past weekend. Sage Northcutt made his debut, and uh, it was not pretty. It was not pretty at all. Basically got his whole face broken. Had uh, several fractures in his face, nine hours of surgery, still in the hospital in Singapore. Now, a lot of people are saying that this is, uh, that, you know, one championship put these guys in this position to fail, like Sage and Eddie Alvarez, to show that there's talent outside of the UFC. There's, yeah, there's talent outside. The, so, so you think that these guys are going to make an investment of over a million dollars, possibly in, in the area code of like $1.25, $1.5 million, just to make a statement that they have fighters that might be as good as people in the UFC. Like that, that's a good investment. They, they, need that kind of, they need that kind of acceptance in America that, that they're willing to put that kind of money in. No, 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 no. 
No, 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 no. Sage was never that good to begin with. Let's just be honest here. Sage Northcutt, at that weight class, won one fight, I believe, in the UFC. At 155, he was good. He was beating people. But at 170, he, he wasn't able to beat anybody of, of substance. He, he barely fought anybody of substance to begin with in the UFC. Or at least beat anybody of substance. Let's see. Let's take a look here at, uh, at, at Sage Northcutt's track record here in the UFC. Well, let's take a look-see. So, his wins are over Francisco Trevino, not in the UFC. Cody Fister, not in the UFC. Enrique Marine, not in the UFC. Michelle Quinones is no longer in the UFC. Thibaut Gauthier, I don't think he's in the UFC anymore either. Zach Otto still in the UFC. So, his only win, and that was his only welterweight win, I believe, was against Zach Otto. And that's it. That's like his only quality win in the UFC. Got a knockout over Zach Otto. Goes to one championship, who I, I presume are paying him a good amount of money. Faces uh, Cosmo Alexander, or Alexange, if you want to uh, give the uh, Brazilian pronunciation. And this guy's like an elite kickboxer. It's a 69, 69 and 19 kickboxing record. This is a guy who can, he can strike. And Sage Northcutt's not, not looking to take fights down for the most part. You know, it's a striking-based fighter. So, looking at that, we, we have a guy that's now won eight fights in a row in uh, Cosmo Alexander. He looks good. He ends up looking great out of this whole deal. But Sage Northcutt gets, you know, pretty much wrecked. And then you listen to some subsequent interviews from Uriah Faber, and it sounded like his training camp was, was terrible, that he wasn't motivated, that uh, he wasn't training particularly hard, that he was go- fighting through injuries. So when you look at it that way, it's just another sign that a lot of these folks that go, you know, that, that are in the UFC and then go to greener pastures, they don't try as hard. How many guys that have been in the UFC that go to that leave in free agency, not that are like going picked up, but that actually leave as free agents, end up having better careers. It's not a lot of them. It really isn't. And it looks like Sage Northcutt uh, basically just got put against good competition finally. So we'll see what happens with Sage. But uh, while on the subject of uh, one championship, they overturned a, they like basically arbitrarily overturned the result of a. Uh, kickboxing match. Like the organization basically said, yeah, I don't think the rules were were followed properly. So we're just going to uh, we're going to we're going to make it a no contest and have a rematch. It's like what what is this pro wrestling? Yeah, looking back, a guy was hit with a chair. And uh that pinfall shouldn't have counted. So we're going to have a rematch at SummerSlam. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. Very confusing. Very confusing times for uh one championship, and not a lot of things are going their way. You know, Sage lost, Alvarez lost, Nikki Holskin just lost. A lot of the uh, kickboxers that they're investing in are, are starting to lose. Bad times from a uh, promotional standpoint in terms of uh, the talent in one championship falling short. But uh, the, the event was very good. It was a solid event. It's fun to watch. I, I like what one championship are doing. Don't get me wrong. I just wish they'd be more honest and transparent about certain things. That's all. I just don't think it's a great look that they uh, they they say that there are like whatever ten million people ten million people watching live on their different platforms worldwide without any sort of like real evidence. But uh, that's just me. Maybe I'm just a stickler for the details. Who knows?
Let's look back at UFC Rochester uh, because I was at that of that particular event. And I, I thought that there was a lot to take away from that particular event. Um, we discussed the main event already, but I want to talk about the incredible debut of Michelle Pereira. So uh, usually I don't sit cage side for these things. Usually I'm in the backstage area. But because there wasn't uh, as many media members at a card such as this and, you know, a more regional card, they gave me a, a spot at the, uh, the table outside of the cage. And it's really the first time I've sat there as a member of the media covering a UFC event. I've sat there at other events. but um, So after the uh, Grant Dawson fight, I saw that Pereira was coming up. I've, I had seen what Pereira had done overseas in Road FC and uh, other Asian organizations where he's been doing crazy stuff. And I'm like, you know what? This would be a good fight to sit at the cage side for. And that turned out to be a wonderful decision. So the first fight basically that I, I had ever sat cage side for at a UFC event, ended up being this one, Michelle Pereira versus Danny Roberts. And Michelle Pereira's very emotional coming out. He's, uh, he's breakdancing at the start. He's doing all kinds of fun stuff. And then he just basically overwhelms Danny Roberts by throwing all kinds of weird stuff at him, flummoxing Roberts, hits him with a flying knee, followed by that, that left straight, drops Roberts, goes to follow up, ref gets in the way, and the, the fight's over. Michelle Pereira with one of the most exciting UFC debuts that I can remember. Absolutely electric. That was a lot of fun. And I've got to say that uh, one of his quotes that he gave me after the event was, uh, I don't think of MMA as a sport. I think of it as, a, uh, of it as enter- entertainment. He thinks of himself as a performer, not as an athlete, which is a very, very interesting way of looking at things. Because in this particular realm, he's not particularly wrong if you want to develop a following. Like if you focus as much on being entertaining as you do on, you know, the X's and O's, the technical part of the sport. Not that Pereira's not, you know, taking care of that and making sure that he's training in, in the best possible way. But if you're also thinking from a, a standpoint where I'm on ESPN or ESPN Plus or whatever platform or my highlights are going to be able to get seen by m- millions of people potentially if I do something fun, that's how I'm going to make a name for myself. I think that that's a very, very brilliant way of approaching your career in the UFC or in a promotion like this. Because remember, the, the key word here is promotion. And I, I always talk about this on the podcast. That this is, unless this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, you've heard this before, that the UFC is not a sport, it's a promotion. And in order for you to excel in a promotion, you need to entertain. You need to do something that makes yourself stand out. And Michelle Pereira has that mentality, which I think is a very, very clever mentality to, uh, to have. Following that fight, I was also sitting cage side for Desmond Green versus Charles Jordan. And uh, despite the, sport, the scorecards, I thought Jordan fared very well. I thought that he was moving forward the entire fight. He was picking Green's legs apart. Had that fight not been in Rochester, the scorecards might have been a little bit closer than, uh, than they were. But uh, Jordan fighting up a weight class against a much bigger guy uh, definitely has nothing to hang his head about because once he starts at 145 at his natural weight class, I think he's going to be... Uh, one to watch from Canada, for sure. Charles Jordan. Not to mention that everybody was thrilled to work with him last week, from what I understand. He just has a positive attitude. He's uh, always on time. He's always looking to do more and, and just embracing the moment, embracing the spotlight that comes with being in the UFC. So uh, Charles Jordan uh, does deserve a, a bit of a hat tip for uh, entering the UFC under very difficult circumstances, fighting up a weight class in his opponent's backyard. Place was going wild every time Desmond Green did anything well in that fight, and uh, I thought he fared very well. So so just wanted to uh, 
mention that because I think Charles Jordan is someone that we should keep our eye on uh, if you are a, a Canadian that want to see wants to see Canadians excel in the sport. Charles Oliveira gets a, a TKO finish, his first TKO finish of, of his UFC tenure to close out the incredible trilogy with Nick Lentz, where Oliveira accrued a 2-0 record with one no contest. What a trilogy. So, so captivating. Capt- we need a fourth fight. Charles Oliveira needs better competition. At lightweight, he's been absolutely running through everybody. The only guy he's lost to is Paul Felder, which was probably the highest level opponent he's been given so far. But uh, he's now 6-1 and one since moving back to lightweight. He says he wants to move to, uh, I guess his fight with uh, his fight with Ricardo Lamas was at a 155 pound, was at 155 pounds, I guess, too, and he lost that fight. But regardless, he wants to, he does want to do one more fight at featherweight, and I can't for the life of me understand why, because he's doing so well right now. He's on a five-fight win streak, all by finish. And, uh, you know, he's one of these guys that's so exciting to watch. So, so very exciting. Only has, what, two decisions? In his entire UFC tenure, yeah, two two fights that have gone the distance. So for Charles Oliveira and at a young, at a lower weight class is very very exciting to watch all the time. And uh, kudos to him on a, another solid win, closing out the uh, much vaunted trilogy between himself and uh, Nick Lentz. Much anticipated. Uh, Vicente Luque gets a first round finish over Derek Krantz, who took the fight on very short notice. Uh, tough situation for Derek Krantz, but Krantz looked good. He had a lot of veteran savvy that showed early on in that fight, so I'm interested to see how he does. I just watched the uh, Dana White looking for a fight where he was signed. It's on uh, YouTube if you haven't seen that. Uh, Derek Krantz was basically harassing Dana White. Please sign me. I want to hurt people. I want to, you know, I, I want to get in there. And uh, Dana White finally reconsidered. He wasn't going to sign him, and then he decides to sign him. But and then, of course, he throws him to Sharks to Vicente Luque. But uh, I think Luque deserves a top ten opponent as well. He's another guy that I think deserves. Uh, a big step up in competition. Uh, Ian Heinish has been nothing short of spectacular during his UFC tenure. Second fight win over Antonio Carlos Jr. So kudos to uh, Ian Heinish, who continues to look good and big showing in the co-main event. And he's such a professional as well. You know, you talk to this guy backstage, he's dressed nicely. He's, he's saying all the right things. I think he's got a very, very bright future in the sport. And, uh, you know, he's also uh, a very talented individual. I mean, he was staving off all the submissions from... Antonio Carlos Jr., and that's not easy to do. Carlos Jr. is one of the most deadly grapplers in the sport. His jiu-jitsu game is, in, in terms of credentials, is up there with anybody that's in the UFC right now. So kudos to Ian Heinish for that win. Uh, we're going to go to our guest right now. He is the next opponent for Greg Hardy. He's been lobbying for this fight for a long time, and he finally has it penned to paper. Both guys have signed. He's been officially announced by the promotion. And that is Juan Adams, who's taking on Greg Hardy at UFC Fight Night in San Antonio. And he joins us now on the TSN MMA Show. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to introduce this week's guest. I'm now joined by the man who fished his wish. Heavyweight Juan Adams has been asking for a fight with Greg Hardy for some time, and it has come into fruition, according to ESPN, and will take place at UFC uh, Fight Night in San Antonio. Uh, Juan, what are you up to this morning? Um, uh, just... Watching an episode, a few episodes of Criminal Minds right now. Wow, this early in the morning, that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty intense. Yeah, you know, I'm looking for inspiration for this upcoming fight. Oh wow, <laughs> you went there right <laughs> away. All right, uh, so Greg Hardy. I mean, this is uh, this is really the first competitive fight that I think that he's been given so far in terms of uh, a, a really high level of competition. Would you agree with that? Oh, definitely. I totally agree with that. So. 
what do you think made him take this fight? I mean, I know you've been nonstop trying to get this on tw- this fight on social media. Um, how do you think that this came into uh, into fruition? You know, I think uh, what what went through is I think you know it got to him. You know, it's not just me. Uh, a lot of fans have been asking for the fight. Then some of my fans have actually been harassing him and his management and the UFC online. Um, I think, you know, he saw that I lost and that boosted his confidence and he finally thinks that he can beat me. So he, you know, he's, he's an emotional dude. Obviously he's got the emotional control of a toddler. So he, uh, he finally got retaliated. And I think he, his coaches finally gave him the go ahead to accept the fight. So that's what he did. He, he asked for it and I accepted it. Well, that was going to be my next question. This was a fight you'd been calling for for some time, even before your last fight with Arjun Buller in Ottawa a couple of weeks ago. Uh, do you feel like a loss in that fight actually helped you get this one? Oh, definitely. You know, um, yeah, he doesn't like to fight winners, obviously. So he uh, he only likes going into fights that he thinks he can clearly win. And, uh, you know, so me, I'm, I'm at a point now where I, I can't turn any fights down. You know, previously I was always looking to fight the best opponent available. Uh, once I got to the UFC, I'm kind of just taking whoever they give me. So, uh, you know, I, as soon as they, you saw, you know, they sent it at 1147. It was sent back and signed six minutes later. So <laughs> I'm ready to go. How much experience do you have in terms of wrestling? I know we've talked about this in the past, but from from a experience standpoint, I mean, what he's done in the last couple of years doesn't hold a candle to your entire background. Can you walk us through that? Yeah, you know, so um, obviously uh, I didn't wrestle at as high a level as Arjun Buller, but uh, that that clearly showed in the fight. But we, uh, I, I started wrestling in high school. Uh, I was 14 years old. Um, I was going to be on the B team for basketball, and I didn't want to play B team. So I went and I started wrestling. Um I was JV my first year, then varsity every year after that. Um, and I went on the, the Division One level in college, Virginia Military Institute. And I wrestled there, had over 100 or right at 100 Division One matches uh, over five years. I got injured one year, so I only got to wrestle half a season. But that allowed me to come back a full year later on with a redshirt year. So... You know, I did that, and you know the the Marine, uh, a couple of the military wrestling teams had, had reached out to me and asked if I wanted to try and compete or go to the U.S. Open under their banner and, and work with them. But you know, I was I was kind of burnt out from the sport. Um, I still coach it. I do like teaching others. I do love wrestling. Uh, but at that time in my life, you know, um, I I just needed to kind of come home, take care of the family, and everything. Uh, that was right when my mom had gotten diagnosed with cancer. So I um, I just kind of didn't really want to wrestle at that time. So you were going to be on the B team for basketball. There must have been a lot of big kids at your school. Well, my freshman year, I was only 5'9", 160 <laughs> at that time. So um, actually, uh, a basketball trial was like right in the beginning of winter. And I started getting my growth spurt that year. By the time spring football came around, I was six three two thirty. Wow, it's a, it's a yeah. decent decent growth spurt. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a painful growth spurt. There were times I would wake up in the middle of the night just screaming from uh, 
you know, muscle pain and bone pain and everything. When you watch tape of Hardy, I mean, this guy hits really hard. That's very apparent. Um, is that something that you can train for, that, you know, avoiding those kind of big shots? And is that really what the, the strategy essentially is going to be, avoid that at all costs, or are you willing to engage with them on the feet? You know, I'm willing to engage. I've never shied away from a hit, you know, um, and I've never been dropped. Uh, you know, in my last fight, the guy hit me, and I just stopped trying to avoid it altogether because it wasn't hurting. So uh, I, it looks like Hardy hits hard, but you also have to take into account he's fighting bums and people that are afraid of him. You know, the, the one guy that wasn't afraid of him, you saw what happened. Uh, Hardy got frustrated and couldn't knock him out. He dude walked at him with his hands down. So, um, you know, he and the other guys he's fought, you know, that he's knocked out either weren't as big as him or weren't athletic or were just old, like old for the sport. Um, you know, if you're fighting a 44 year old amateur, that shouldn't be too hard to knock him out. You know. <laughs> So do you feel like the training wheels are off? I mean, a lot of people were saying that he was being spoon-fed easy opponents. I think that that conversation stops now. Do you agree? Uh, I definitely agree, you know. But, you know, a lot of people will think I'm an easy opponent. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is he um, – he, the, the fact of the matter is that he, he he fights bums. You know, I didn't look super impressive in, in my last fight either. Um and he does bring a lot of casual fans to the sport. So a lot of casual guys are going to see my record and, and see my opponents and, and think that I'm not very good. And that's fine. You can think that. But the the combined record of my opponents is much better than the combined record of his. There's a lot more experience in what I've fought than what he's fought. And, you know, I fought guys that, at the time I ranked them. You know, at the time I fought Sean Teed, he was ranked the number five prospect, is not like in the U.S. or the world or something like that. That wasn't signed by the UFC, and I was ranked like ninth or twelfth or something like that. So that guy was supposed to be better than me, and, and you know I'm off the floor with him. So a lot of people don't understand that though. They they just see that oh you know I got a lot of quick wins, so those guys must have sucked. No, the the fact of the matter is uh, I'm pretty good. Well, absolutely. I think that uh, your pedigree, especially from coming from that wrestling background, is going to be a, a massive advantage going into this one. What, what went wrong in the last fight against Arjun Buller in um, in Ottawa? Uh, you know, honestly, our, our game plan was not to engage in wrestling with him at all. Um, you know, I wasn't really getting on the end of any of my punches. He, he had really good movement. And also, you know, I wasn't really mentally there for that fight you know there was a lot of stuff that went on leading up to that fight um you know just in the last 48 hours i had a great camp everything was going well and then you know the last day you know they say oh you need to trim your beard so i had to go find a place to do that then it's you know i get to the arena and even though they had already checked my toenails and fingernails they made me clip them all again to the point where, you know, multiple toenails were bleeding. One of my toenails actually split down the middle and I had to rip half of it off uh, an hour before I fought, you know. So stuff like that, you know, it, little disruptions in my routine. Uh, yeah, that, it, it got to me a little bit and it's an experience that I kind of just had to learn from. And, 
you know, the first time he took me down, um, you know, I didn't even, I wasn't really in, in any danger until he landed the elbow. And then I'm like, okay, I, sh- I should probably get up now. Then I got up. And then the third round, he took me down. I just, I just couldn't get up. You know, he's got a really good base. He's, he is a high level wrestler. I know I discredited him a lot, but he's, I mean, he, he's a good athlete. And Arjun is, is a good fighter also. He's nine and one, you know, and, I do re- respect him as an athlete and I respect him as an opponent. And so a lot of times there were times I would get in a clinch or I would have a body lock wrapped up and I wouldn't go for a takedown because the game plan was not to engage him wrestling wise. Right. So, you know, that happens. And lo and behold, you know, I, I thought I was up two rounds to one going into the third, uh, but I'm not a judge. So it it happens. And I didn't do, what I needed to do to, to get the win. I knew going in there, I had to beat him very decisively and I didn't do that. So I didn't execute well. Well, the name of the game for you in that fight was output. I mean, you, you threw 90 strikes in the first round alone, significant strikes. And uh, that's basically one every three seconds. Um, how do you manage that kind of output? And is that a sustainable model for you? Are you able to keep that kind of output up? You know, I, I am able to keep that output up. The, the, the fact is, you know, for all the stuff that I post online, it, that that party kind of persona, yeah, I, I party, but I, I train a lot. You know, I train six hours, anywhere from four to six hours a day. And it, that that's what allows me to have that output like that. And, you know, a lot of people will question my cardio and stuff like that. But the fact of the matter is I throw more punches in a fight than most welterweights do, you know? So, and to have the amount of output that I have at the size that I have, I don't think it, it's very intelligent to question my cardio. Why has... um? Why has Greg Hardy been such a target for you? Why Why particularly Greg? I, I don't like him, uh, one. You know, I, I think it's very... I, the whole, you know, domestic violence thing, his, his criminal record, that's part of it, but I just don't think he's a good human being. You know, even if that stuff is or isn't true, how dumb do you have to be to not even make an attempt to cover that up or make an attempt to make amends with that? Uh, you know, and that falls on, on, on his management, that falls on him, that falls even on the UFC, you know, if if I was Greg Hardy and I had that type of heat on me, best believe, you know, I would, even if it's just for an hour a week, go volunteer at a women's shelter. You know, his last NFL contract was like 14 mil or something, make a donation to, to you know, a, a, a women's charity or a woman's home, something like that, you know, and he, he's done none of that, so... On on top of that, you know, he, he's talking like he's changed and all that. I really don't think he has. And he's been given so many opportunities in life, and he's, he's squandered so many of them. And he continues to make dumb choices and things like that. And, and the things he says on top of that, you know, to call himself the Michael Jordan of, of mixed martial arts, like, come on, kid. That's that's idiotic on on so many levels. I mean, maybe if he's referring to Michael Jordan's baseball career, yeah, then I think he's a that, that's a very good matchup and that's, that's a great comparison. But after 
five or six fights to call yourself, <laughs> you know, the greatest of all time. Uh, I think that's that's extremely arrogant and idiotic. Um, so that that's just the service of it. Um, on top of that, my entire career, you know, we both started fighting around the same time. So I've been having to hear this this crap from since my my second amateur fight. Like, oh, you should fight Greg Hardy, or man, you and Greg Hardy are, are pretty similar, or you know. Uh, yeah, people are saying, like, you know, I think this would be a great fight, blah, blah, blah. After two years, you, you get enough of it. And then on top of it to see that, you know, that he makes the amount of money that he makes from fighting when there's guys that, are, you know, are, are better fighters by every stretch of the imagination. But because he played in the NFL, because he, you know, is a controversial and polarizing figure, he's getting rewarded for that. So, and that you know that's another aspect of it. He's being rewarded for being a shitty human. He's being rewarded for having a sketchy past. He's being rewarded for mistakes that he made. Whereas you have people that go their entire lives trying to do the right thing, do things the right way, and they're getting snubbed. That's an interesting way of looking at it. I mean, from a promotional standpoint, I can kind of understand why he does make more money uh, due to, the, I guess, the crossover appeal, if there is any. I mean, I, I know that Greg Hardy isn't exactly uh, the most popular of football players, so to speak. It's not like it's LaDainian Tomlinson or something like that going to do MMA. But uh, I guess that crossover appeal is why, I guess, paying him a little bit more money might make sense just from a, an advertising standpoint. Do you at least agree with that? Yes, yeah, I, and I totally understand that. It's not even the fact, uh, you know, money aside, it's the the push that he is getting. Uh, he's getting, you know, prime positioning on cards and, and things like that. When, you know, you have guys that are, are reasonably popular within MMA or that have entertaining styles that you could put in those same slots. Even if you put him on the card, people are going to tune into the card either way. He doesn't need to be a co-main. Putting him as a co-main just encourages people to tune into the fight later, which is dumb. Like if you want to, if you want to put the sport in the spotlight, you put him earlier on the card, and then have people stick around for the good fights that are gonna that are gonna follow. It. You know that that would make sense to me. But on you know, I a lot of the qualms and, and issues that I had beforehand, I don't really have anymore because you know I've. I'm very happy with how this all turned out. I'm very happy with, with the UFC. You know, I'm, I'm very grateful that they're giving me a quick turnaround. That's that's one of the things that I wanted from the beginning is, you know, I don't want to have to go five months between fights. So for them to reward me and give me a fight on, on you know, two, two and a half, three months after my last one is huge for me. And uh, I'm really appreciative of that. So, it makes me kind of, kind of like it kind of softens my disdain for Greg Hardy a little bit because it allowed me to, to get a fight sooner. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm pretty happy with the company and pretty happy with the way things played out. You mentioned the co-main event or main event aspect of uh, of his career. Do you know if you're going to be in the main or co-main event of the San Antonio card? I honestly hope not. I mean, the, the the fact of the matter is, there's there's guys, there's fighters on that card that have done so much more in this sport 
than either of us. There's fighters. There's going to be some amazing fights on this card. You know, Ben Rothwell looked great in his last fight. He's fighting Andre Arlovsky again. That's going to be a good fight. Those guys are two, you know, bona fide stars. You know, they, they've been around for a while. They've put on a lot of great shows. Andre Arlovsky is extremely accomplished in this sport. You've got Walt Harris and Alexi Olenek. Both come on this card. Walt Harris is an extremely exciting fighter, and Alexi Olenek, uh, he can submit you from pretty much anywhere. So, you know, those are the type of guys that I'd like to see in the main card or, you know, in the main co-main event. Fights like that with, you know, guys that have been doing it a while, guys that go out there, they entertain every time. That's that's more appealing to me. And also, you know, I don't like fighting late on cards. I like fighting early. I like to go in and go in and get get my snacks. I found out from my uh, nutritionist that I will not be getting my normal post weigh in meal. Uh, all my snacks and stuff are gonna have to wait till after the fight. So I wanna I wanna get the fight over with as quick as possible. While you were in Canada, did you get to enjoy some poutine? Did you uh, Did you enjoy this uh, this great country? Yeah, dude, I loved Canada. Honestly. Um, Aside from the three judges, I, I love that country. I liked everyone there. <laughs> uh, it was great. Um, the poutine, I went to, you know, I had poutine at, like, nice restaurants, and then I went to these, like, kind of hole-in-the-wall spots that did crazy stuff with the poutine. I had one that was, like, chicken, bacon, ranch, and, like, all these peppers. It was amazing. I, I loved it. Um, I had the, the beaver tails from this stand in the market, so... Canada, and it was a beautiful country also, and uh, one thing I will hear of Canada is, like, the the women over there were just, like, that. it's like the average girl over there was, was more attractive than the, the average person over here, so uh, we we loved it. We loved the scenery and all aspects of the word, um, but it was, it was a great time. It was a great experience, uh, and we had we had a lot of fun. Well, if uh, if food and women are your thing, if the UFC ever brings a card to Montreal, you should lobby to get on that card. I'll, I'll just give you that as a, as a tip. Uh, I don't know how my girlfriend would feel about that, but you know, the food for sure, the women not so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she may not like that aspect of it. Uh, well, Juan, thanks for joining me today. Appreciate it, and uh, I'm glad you fished your wish with Greg Hardy. It's uh, it's good to see the training wheels come off for him, uh, and it's going to be a very tough fight uh, for him in San Antonio. And I appreciate you doing this. Thank you so much, man. Have a good one. That was Juan Adams. Interesting insight from him on how he thinks he landed that Greg Hardy fight. He thinks that the loss actually helped him get a fight that will give him more publicity. So that was very interesting to hear his opinion on that. Well, that'll do it for us this week. Not a whole lot to discuss with a, uh, an off week here in the UFC. Uh, PFL event Thursday on TSN. TSN 2 at 9.30 p.m. And uh, the prelims will be on TSN Go, streamed on TSN Go if you're a PFL fan. So you can check that out Thursday night. Next week, Joe will hopefully be back. I think we're going to uh, finally get the band back together again. Joe with an illness this week. I was traveling the last three weeks, so haven't been able to hook up in some time. So uh, we're going to get the show back on the road and preview UFC in Stockholm, Sweden. Great main event, Anthony Smith versus Alexander the Mahler Gustafsson. But until then, take care. Talk to you next week. Hopefully Joe and myself will both be here and uh, we'll talk all things MMA. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. 
for all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.